a lot of our work is actually people and relationships and systems thinking and understanding people's business, being a consultant. It's less about the actual buying. <laughs> Welcome to the Supply Chain Ambassador Podcast. I'm your host, Bruno, helping you navigate the world of supply chain in a fun and engaging way. On today's podcast, I wanted to learn a little bit more about the decentralized public procurement network in the province of British Columbia. To help me with that is Tracy Harris. Tracy Harris leads a team that offers procurement consulting services to the decentralized public procurement network in the province of British Columbia. She has been with the BC government since 2015. Tracy's diverse background and experiences enable her to provide advice through a wide range of business challenges. She has a strong customer service focus and a track record of building highly successful teams. Tracy has lived in nine different cities, four countries, and worked in five industries throughout her career. She started as a high school teacher before being recruited to design and facilitate customer service programs for WestJet. Since then, she has spanned different roles within business transformation, change management, training, project operations, and procurement. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you. Hopefully you still uh, are in touch with some of your WestJet colleagues and they're able to help you uh, book a trip once in a while. <laughs> Not so much these days. It was quite some time ago now. <laughs> so can you describe your journey and how you got to your current role? You spoke a little bit about it. Um, I definitely fell into procurement like many people who are in procurement and supply chain. Um, you get involved in, in it through other, other professions and other industries that you're working through. Procurement and supply chain are really part of every business. So as soon as you start getting into project work and a lot of uh, strategy work, uh, procurement becomes a big part of that. It becomes very interesting because you learn really about service design from um, how a service is built and created and how to build requirements, how to manage a project, how to obtain funding. Do you insource, do you outsource? All of those components become part of projects. And so a lot of people in project type backgrounds get very interested in procurement because you get to be involved in so many different problems. Yeah. And that's really how I fell into it. I started actually as a high school teacher. So really, I was only at that point procuring pencils and paper and textbooks and things like that. So not quite where I really landed in it. When I went into WestJet, uh, as you had mentioned, I was designing customer service programs and we started building a reservation system. And, and I started learning also about baggage systems and understanding even the supply chain of, of, of baggage handling and all of that kind of thing. So I learned a lot there. I've worked in civil engineering. I then uh, worked in the finance industry, in banking, and that's really where I got more into procurement because I um, worked with the executive to build a business transformation team. 
And that business transformation team meant like, how do we transform our business next year, five years from now, 10 years from now? And to do that, we had to hire a lot of consultants. There was a lot of procurement components involved in my, in my job. But in procurement, it's really important to understand all of those different facets of work, because when you're especially in our role in the decentralized BC government, as you had mentioned, our role is to get into the sticky problems. Um, yeah. I lead a team of both staff and contractors, public service staff. And we have to come in to solve the sticky problems that people aren't able to solve on their own. And that means getting into how you run your business and being able to ask a lot of questions to understand the components of the business it, even before we can create an acquisition strategy or a procurement strategy. So you really have to know, you know, how did they build their requirements? Have they talked to their stakeholders? Do they know the users of, of whoever is going to be using their service? What does what does success look like? Uh, how do you measure success or how are we going to measure success? Do you know your marketplace? Do you know your industry? So there's a lot of things that we get involved in that aren't just purchasing. So having some background in touching all of those systems thinking components help you to create the best procurement possible and be engaging the industry in the way they want to be engaged. Working in the, in the federal public service, you know, a lot of it is centralized. So can you just help me understand a little bit more about decentralized procurement and, and what that entails? Yeah, sure. So decentralized procurement world, a lot of the procurement is done by the ministries themselves or um, centralized groups that support the ministries themselves and up to certain dollar thresholds. So okay. a lot of the lower dollar threshold procurements can be done in-house. Even some of the more higher dollar procurements can also be done in-house, but they might require a little bit more support. The thing is, is they understand their business the best. They're involved in the day-to-day. -day. So they understand the requirements. They understand their subject matter experts. They know their decision-making bodies. They know the risks that are inherent in their own business. So they're really subject matter experts in their areas. Where we are subject matter experts from the centralized side is how to work in the gray area, how to design procurements that might be a little different that can help them better. How do you add add social criteria and, and support sustainability? And, and, and how do you do the more complex procurements? So we do have like corporate templates that the decentralized procurement bodies are able to use without support. So okay. they can go in and do their procurements like an RFP, for example, or um, a request for qualifications or something like that. They can do that themselves. But when there's templates that are not corporate, like doing negotiated processes or joint solutioning or even supply arrangements and things like that, that's where they involve the centralized group to help them work through those processes and understand, which is really great from a centralized body because we get to see so many different industries. We get to help so many different user groups, communities, and really have kind of that bird's eye view of what's going on. And that's one of the most important parts of our role is connecting people to other people who are doing the same things. We also actually support the broader public sector as well. 
it's really interesting the types of projects that we get involved in. Wow, um, <laughs> that was that's awesome. What is unique about provincial procurement compared to other forms of procurement, let's say federal or municipal? I think the biggest thing is we are very much tied to trade agreements, right? So municipal is too, but they have a lot more flexibility with lower dollar value procurements, whereas we're we're in the higher dollar value procurements, much like the federal government is too. So therefore, you have to be very creative with what you can do to be able to support sustainable procurement, as well as making the most of having that flexibility. And I know there are some areas that were more constrained in BC around implementing new cloud technologies and things like that, because we have very strict privacy and security requirements for good reason. I think the trade agreement piece is probably the most tricky. The one thing that's really great about being part of the provinces as well, especially now where we have federal, provincial, territorial working groups, where we're really looking across Canada to see what's going on and and leveraging each other's expertise. I talked about succession planning before, and that is something that we are working with the federal, provincial, territorial working groups on too. So to create some sort of standardization across the province or across the country. I think that's very cool. Bringing together all the stakeholders from the provinces and territories and building off of that. I think that's fantastic. And it's hard because, as you said, every group is slightly different. So the way that they centralize or decentralize or have a hybrid, that changes almost the competencies you need and the skills you need and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Why is the work you do at the Procurement Services branch so important? Well, I think I spoke a bit about that is really being that that community of practice that brings all of the areas together and also enables us to look more strategically on what's going on across government. We also support all of the ministries with the technology that they use to be able to post their procurements and manage their procurements. We offer ad hoc advice that's free of charge. So we get a lot of emails throughout the day from different groups across government. We also help groups who have gone through an audit and have had some challenging findings and trying to figure out how they should be doing procurement. And it's quite interesting when you talk to those groups because they do have a strategy in place. They are trying to be very open in the way that they do procurement and things, but they don't know all the rules. And so we guide and we don't just take over. That's where we're trying to aim more in the future to support that whole succession planning across government. What are some misconceptions about the work you do? That we do all the procurement for all of government. That is not true. <laughs> um, <laughs> we help and we advise, but we don't do all of the procurement for government. And I, I think some people think that we do that. I think some people think that all we do is buy, and that's not all we do. As I had mentioned before, there's so much more involved in understanding people's current state, where they're looking to go in the future and how to meet that gap by working with the industry. So a lot of our work is actually people and relationships and systems thinking and understanding people's business, being a consultant. It's less about the actual buying. <laughs> it's all about the people, definitely. Yeah, it is. It's definitely all about the people. You do have to think in that vein. It's very challenging, but it's very interesting place to be. 
Speaking of challenging, uh, what challenges have you faced <laughs> in your work? Because, as I mentioned, we support the decentralized procurement groups, we have a challenge figuring out what our workload's going to be because it's very ad hoc. People don't know when they're going to need us. They don't know when they're going to run into problems. Sometimes they don't know what they're going to be purchasing from one year to the next. So it's very difficult to predict what that workload's going to look like. And we don't even know what, what commodity is going to come to us. We don't know what ministry, um, what business area is going to come to us. So we have to be upskilled across the team. So rather than organizing ourselves by commodity, um, we need to organize ourselves by functions and then cross train all of our staff to be able to support multiple different industries and multiple different approaches to doing procurement. And then we have directors um, within the teams that are not only responsible for leading a team, but also responsible for leading a function. So developing the tools and templates, providing the coaching, providing the change management and continuous improvement for their function. And those functional areas can change and a director can be moved to a different functional area. But the way we set ourselves up is to support the ad hoc nature of the services that we provide. And I'm sure many of your listeners who are in an operational procurement capacity have challenges finding the time to do continuous improvement. And then you go to try and change something and you're like, well, what is it like today? And then you have to do all the investigation of what it's like today in order to be able to change things in the future. And we definitely run into that. And, you know, procurement practitioners are not always the ones that have the skills and abilities to be able to build some of that stuff as well so you have to be willing to look outside your practice so that other people can come in and analyze it and say hey what do you do today and document it and think about how you manage your knowledge um, because knowledge management I think is really big in procurement especially where there is a lot of people retiring and you need to build that ongoing succession and and education and that community of practice out there so that is something that that we need to really focus ourselves on and and we try but it is hard when you have operational day-to-day jobs to um to do and in our world we we are cost recoverable we don't make money but we we have to recover our costs from a budgetary standpoint so that means we charge hourly rates uh, so you have to really balance that. And, and you also have to think about the ministries who are using your services and what kind of budgets they have. And so, you know, you can't just up your fees. You have to look differently on how you organize your business. Fascinating. <laughs> what are some of the cool initiatives that you are involved in? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. Uh, Green Fleet, that really, that's not just um, electrifying our vehicles, but putting all of the infrastructure in to support it. So that there's a lot of work going on there right now. We are working with the federal government on being able to leverage each other's resources. So for example, I talked about supply arrangements before. Well, the federal government has supply arrangements that we were able to leverage and use. And so where do we use those supply arrangements over our own provincial supply arrangements. And then in some cases, there are supply arrangements that 
are specific to an industry or a ministry. So how do you build out that, those? And then how do you support that with their legislative authority to purchase on behalf of others? Because we as a group in um, Ministry of Citizen Services, we have that capability to buy on behalf of others. So what we usually do is create supply arrangements that different ministries can procure off of. Those are going through a huge revamp at the moment. So that's a lot of work that, that we're doing. And we're also looking at not just services because when we looked at supply arrangements before, we really looked at the buying powers. Is it worth putting this in place? Would we be able to cover the costs of managing it? So we would look at, at the past and say, so who's, who's used this service in the past or who's used these goods in the past? Well, that's not always going to set us up for the future, especially in our new world where we're focused on GBA plus accessibility, supporting um, indigenous communities. Like a lot of this, a lot of the services that we're looking in the future are not going to be what we what we did in the past. And so we have to look at measuring things differently and figuring out the feasibility of things differently. Um, we were really heavily involved in the COVID supply chain for the, the past couple of years. We are implementing a new revamped BC bid application or the application where we um, where we post all of our opportunities and manage all of our opportunities. So that's another project we're focused on. We're looking at social procurement and sustainable procurement and how do we implement new approaches that support how community organizations want to do business with us. So smaller organizations and things like that. How do we right size our procurement and make sure we're looking at not just price, that we're looking for best value. We are working on some major outsourcing deals uh, on a regular basis there's there's a lot there's so much work going on in our group it's too much to to, to spend the small time we have together discussing but it's it's amazing we always have some great things going on and each functional area as i mentioned before that a director is leading they're responsible to accomplish something each year so we're always continuously improving so a lot of work going on within our team at all times so I'll have to have a podcast with you for every one of those initiatives <laughs> so we can dive a little bit more into it. What is one thing you enjoy about your work? The diversity, the diversity of people, the di diversity of work, the diversity of problems and, and issues to solve. A big part of who I am is I'm considered a connector. So I like connecting ideas. I like systems thinking. I like networking. I think it's an important part of our role is to understand the interconnectedness of everything that we do and who we work with. And that really excites me about my job each day because I get to I get to work with new people, solve new problems. And, you know, when I get bored is when I'm not solving new problems. It's telling if you look at my career path as well, because I've changed multiple different industries. I've changed multiple different roles. Um, usually every couple of years I was making a change. There's so much diversity in the work we do. I haven't had to do that. <laughs> there's there's always something new and we're growing we're we're doubling our staff at least every couple of years and what i'm really i really love about my job is bringing in new people to um, the public service as well as supporting succession planning within public service as well 
I really like adding diversity to the team because diversity is it's so exciting to see how different people solve different problems, how different people who were involved in different commodities approach a new commodity, how the learning happens across the team. I've implemented something called learning moments within our team. So every couple weeks on a Wednesday morning from 9 to 9.30, so short period of time, somebody presents a, a problem that they solved or a challenge that they're up against. And there's just learning shared among the team. I love those those mornings and it really helps, especially in this world where we're all working remotely. Yeah, absolutely. How can listeners find out more information? Well, we have lots of different government web pages. I think people who are interested in the the doing procurement within the BC government, check out BC Bid Resources. We upload a lot of our content on how we our procurement practices and what we do and things like that on the BC Bid Resources site. The BC other Bid Resources. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just search that in Google. <laughs> yeah, and you'll find it. Okay. Um, the other thing that is good to read up on and we've just actually that's another project that I didn't speak to um, is we just implemented a new procurement chapter within our policy guide. BC government chapter six uh, okay. procurement policy is another thing to read up on and see how we do procurement from a policy standpoint. It aligns quite closely with our trade agreements, but it's good to see that how those line up. And through BC Bid Resources, you'll find a lot of the project information about what we do is also the types of branches and areas that are in the procurement and supply division. That's great. Any call to action for our listeners? Keep being interested in procurement and supply chain. Like, there's so much to learn, and and we can get so tied up in what we do today. We don't always look out and see what's going on um, elsewhere. And I think it's great what you're doing here uh, because people get to learn about what other areas and what other public service entities and other procurement groups do and there's so there's a wide range of careers out there for procurement professionals and we love to see diversity so it's really great to just keep exploring and keep your options open keep talking to people keep networking that's fantastic you've answered all my questions for today I will leave with the quote of the day today, which is from Stephen Hawking, who is a uh, theoretical physicist, cosmologist, and author, who once said, there is no way we can predict the weather six months ahead beyond giving the seasonal average. (laughs) Now, he's a smart person, so I think he, I don't know, he may be right, I cannot verify that, but I think it speaks to uh, the notion that, uh, yeah, sometimes we don't really know what lies ahead but keeping your options open, like you just mentioned, is a great way to be prepared for the future. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, thank you once again for coming in to do this podcast. It's been an absolute blast to have you on the show. Excellent. Thank you for having me. Perfect. Thanks.